Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. We're back with the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. This is episode 112. We appreciate you tuning in. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, man, we got... uh, you know, back in the saddle this week, uh, lots of information coming out, lots of news, and uh, I know you went to the Baffin about a week and a half, two weeks ago, and I think you just went on another vacation, Ryan. You talk about me taking vacations. Uh, you, you had a vacation out doing some more fishing, man, so uh, how's things been going for you? Well, now that the bus is done running me over, um, yeah, but Josh, I, I'm here. I'm here. I'm like Brett Favre, Cal Ripken. I don't miss podcast. I'm here every week. Yeah, I went and caught some fish. Josh, if I don't catch those fish, we know that you're not going to, so someone's got to do it. Um, but yeah, we went to uh, Richland Chambers Reservoir and uh, caught some hybrid stripers. That is fun. Um, but yeah, we're at Baffin. Was two weeks ago now, we got an interview with uh, Captain Aubrey Black, which will be coming up at the end of the show. And this is the last show with the uh, Baffin Bay as a sponsor. So we want to thank them for all they did and be sure to tell you to go to BaffinBayRonGun.com. Check them out. Take your friends, your clients, your family, whomever, just yourself, go down there and have a good time. Josh and I went down there four times this year and had a blast each time. The listeners that went with us always raved about how nice it was. And we were actually looking to take some clients down there ourselves here in probably, I don't know, maybe September-ish. Uh, so anyways, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me 318-599-9192, or via LinkedIn. So, yeah, man. But uh, had a good fourth, Josh. It was a little hot, but uh, the fish were they're biting okay. So you can't complain. Anytime you're on the water, it's a it's a good day. That's right. Well, we hope all of our listeners had a, had a good fourth. We know uh, industry's a little slower during those couple of days. I know for from experience that people are uh, they're out of pocket, out trying to decompress, and uh, hope everybody had a safe safe good fourth last week well uh some information came out article with the houston chronicle jordan bloom wrote uh oil sector cutting spending as wall street turns its back so we've we've kind of the situation that's been developing in the industry is the investors wall street they are changing the rules they are uh going about things a little bit differently in the way they're funding these oil and gas projects and it is putting a squeeze on some of these companies. We've seen quite a bit of bankruptcies this come out recently, and uh, and, and Wall Street and the investors are a large part uh, of why that's happening. I'm not saying it's their fault. I'm just saying that they they're wanting to change the way the oil and gas industry views the way they're supposed to, you know, to, to bring value to the shareholders, and that's putting extra pressure on them to start cash flowing much sooner rather than. Uh, trying to focus on production, they're having to focus on bringing a return to to the shareholders, and uh, it's been interesting to see this unfold. But this is a it's a good article. It's got you know kind of detailing where we were at the beginning of last year and how we've gotten here. Yeah, and you know what's funny is uh, well, first off, our buddy Speakner reached out and sent me some articles, and so I'm trying to uh, I say but uh, I'm trying to get with him or her. I'm still not sure. I sent him my personal cell phone, so hopefully he'll connect with me there. But he sent me some articles, or she sent me some articles, and uh, and was kind of going back and forth a little bit on the on the the, uh, the three one eight number I just mentioned a minute ago. But you know, I, I was kind of thinking about that this weekend, Josh. Last year, everyone agreed that if prices would stay 
55, 60, 65, that would be good for the industry. I didn't remember seeing a single article saying that, man, if the prices say 55 to 65, the industry's in trouble. Now, they're saying that the industry's in trouble because it's 55 to 65. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. Okay, so you have new information, you can change your opinion. And, you know, so I'm not, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying it's funny how quickly that shifted. And part of it is probably because some of these companies were in bad positions. And we've talked about this narrative before, that if you're in school and you make a bunch of Bs and Cs, then you have an F, a, a really low F, like a, like, a, like a 10 out of 100 F. Um, getting your average back up to a BC average is really hard. It takes a long time to do that. The same thing is true with financial uh, financials. You know, you have a really bad year. You lose a lot of money. Depending on what you're doing before then, it could take you a long time to recover. Um, so I, I wonder here, as we sit here on July, what is today, the, the 8th, as we sit on July 8th, 2019, my, my question is, is obviously you have some companies who aren't doing that well. Okay. And we talked about some of that last year with some of the people who were buying acreage that, that seemed to be overvalued. We weren't really sure how they were going to make it. Um, so how much of what we're looking at today is a result of potential fear that the prices aren't getting higher? How much of it is a result of um, the returns that we're seeing from these companies? How much of it is it just um, the instability in the marketplace? Um, and then how much of it is just a, 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 maybe it's cold, hard reality that, that, that maybe the end is near for some of these guys. And it's kind of hard to piece that together because, again, just you know, eight, ten months ago, if I told you prices would stay between 50 and 70 next year, everyone would have said that was great. Um, now we're middle of the year and everyone's saying this is a problem. I'm not saying it's not a problem. I'm just saying it's just funny how the narrative shifts and we do have more data now. We do have more information. So we can shift the narrative. It's just surprising how fast that narrative has changed. You know, that's uh, one of the things I was thinking about is he, he mentioned that oil was going to stay around 50 to 60. And like you like you mentioned, we were discussing this last year. That was the goal was to, you know, that was the hope that with the OPEC cuts that we would, we would hang in that price where it was uh, enough to at least break even and turn a little bit of profit so that these companies would, would be able to. But I think what we're seeing play out in, in some part with some of these companies is they overpaid for some of that permanent acreage potentially. And like you said, just making one F, you know, if they over if they overpaid, you know, pretty significantly just on a couple of uh, pieces of property, then that, that could really put them behind the gun and uh, you know, put some put some extra pressure on them to deliver. And, and just looking at uh, at the way this is unfolding, um, there was a, another article that came out uh, with the Wall Street Journal, and it uh, the title of the article is U.S. Drilling Slowdown Triggers Oil Bankruptcy. This is picking up on what we mentioned last week about Weatherford International PLC. They, um, they went bankrupt, I believe it was Monday uh, last week, and we, we talked a little bit about that. But it, uh, it's going over how... Not only Weatherford, but other companies are are feeling some of the pressure um, to to bring value to the shareholders and how that's putting a squeeze on some of them. I think they have listed here Schlumberger and Halliburton that are companies that that have been you know, feeling the the pressure here. Yeah, and you know you look at it, and you say the oil field service companies obviously are going to feel it as well, so that's no shock. 
Um, especially if the producers are feeling it. So, you know, if the boss is feeling it, then it's likely that the employees will feel it. So if the, the main company's feeling it, then the subcontractor, if you will, will feel it. Um, and I think you hit it, like you said, Josh. We talked about some of these deals last year. Some of them looked to be overpriced. How much of that is part of what we're seeing here? But it doesn't mean that there were deals last year that we looked at and we thought, okay, these deals were good, and then come to find out, you know, they, they're just not sustainable. And so that's part of it too. It's going to be interesting to watch. I am just, I'm just curious. I, I do think that there's, it's fair to be concerned if you're, and, and we yeah, have remember, we're talking about the drillers here, not the midstream, not the downstream. This is about the drillers, uh, upstream part of the business. I do think it is something to be concerned about is that the prices won't go up and there, there are plenty of things that should you would think theoretically send them higher than what they are so i do think it's fair to be a concern that the prices won't go up and maybe that's built into some of this fear here as well um but i know blackman wrote a piece on it maybe we can get him on uh next week to talk about it but it's it's interesting to see and uh, kind of pick it apart what's going on with all this yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to watch i, I think when i see articles like that uh, like this one and the Houston Chronicle. Um, these these sorts of articles always draw attention, uh, but I, looking at the the way the articles and the narrative have changed over the last ten months, it makes you wonder if if these are just hypothetical guesses or you know the way they. I understand that these companies are going bankrupt. That's a fact. But um, with the OPEC cuts that just got extended throughout the rest of the year. Um, sometimes I just feel like people are looking at it from a pessimistic and optimistic viewpoint and are just making, you know, making guesses with, with the way things are going to unfold. But, you know, more interesting than, than some of this is uh, some of the climate change folks that are, are coming out against a uh, Kinder Morgan pipeline. It's 430-mile line that's going to be running through uh, the middle of Texas. And there's some folks coming out and arguing that the the area that they selected to run this line through is not a feasible place to do it because the the rock and the sedimentary rock there is too hard and it's just not the best route and so they've gone about all sorts of different tactics to try to slow or stop this pipeline from being installed and a lot of it um, is actually being driven by you know climate change folks that say that the pipelines are, are dangerous and we need to start making moves away from this so um, it's always interesting for me to, to keep up with, with some of the things that are going on on the environmental side like we've talked about before. And this is one of the instances where they are gathering together scientists to try to, um, I, I believe, to push an agenda. And it's something that, that we've talked about before, Ryan, with, with other areas that science, science is not always um, done in integrity. Sometimes it's done with an agenda. And, and that reality is something that we all need to face. Yeah, I mean, I think, and we've talked about this some offline, I think we've kind of lost what science actually is. And, you know, when, when we're taught in elementary school about um, science and, you know, how it works and the scientific method, there's a lot of things in there that today we don't necessarily even consider when we're talking about that. And I'm not a not a very smart guy, I'm not a scientist, but, you know, you have controls and all this type of stuff that, 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 that let you test your theories. Um, and today it seems, well, if you can come up with a, a hypothesis, a thesis, you can put it out there and you can't really prove it, but you can uh, presuppose it's true almost and make the, make the science back it up. On this, I don't really understand, uh, you know, what the issue is here. It, it, this, this goes back to, um, in my opinion, Josh, the eminent domain debate. 
which is this is part of the problem that we have, or at least I had when we had this discussion. This is really more about landowners than it is about environmental issues, at least according to this piece. Um, and so it's hard to say I'm anti-eminent domain when you have landowners who will come up with reasons. And, and I'm not saying these aren't legitimate. I don't know all the facts of this one. It, don't, it seems odd to put it mildly, but it's hard to say you're against eminent domain when landowners can band together and 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 could create an issue and next thing you know you have this issue that's an environmental issue now you got to go through this and you get and it, it changes the focus and so it's just one more of those things i thought about is you know when we think about eminent domain we don't want people going and taking pipeline le- uh, right away left and right but it's also it's like well how do you balance this out because these are some of the things that we talked about which was landowners banding together to make it hard to build a pipeline well here's an example of that yep i mean they're coming in and saying that, let's see, let's see, let me find a piece in the article, Lesniak, uh, the rock does not support the pipe, and he is a consultant for Texas Real Advocacy and Defense Co- Coalition, and you know, he says he's not against pipelines in general, he just doesn't want them running through his property, and the, the response from Kendra Morgan and some of the other guys are, they've run stuff through similar terrain, they have thousands of miles of pipeline that they run through similar terrain, and um, if it was a bad terrain, they'd want to they'd want to run it somewhere else. I mean, it, it costs them money to put it in in you know a tough terrain. So right, it, exactly. Yeah. That's what I thought. So if Kinder Morgan, so let's just take out the landowner issue for a second. If Kinder Morgan, and again, it doesn't mean that companies don't make mistakes. We're not saying that, but they obviously think that. The, the, the rock in this area can support the pipeline because if it can't and the pipeline were to fail, the amount of money they would lose for not fulfilling their contracts plus damages would be pretty substantial. Mm. Have companies taken risks like that in the past? Sure. Could Kendra Morgan be doing it now? Theoretically possible. But it's more logical to assume that they genuinely believe that this is the case. Could they be being nefarious? They know it's not going to support it and, and roll the dice, obviously. But it is more logical to just assume that that's what's going to happen. And, it, and, and I think our position is pretty clear. If they knowingly put it in a bad spot and people or people's properties are damaged or lives are hurt obviously we're we're, we're for we're for his uh extreme measures under the laws you can use again to, to get recourse so we're not you know, trying to negate liability but it, it is weird it's like okay well they, they seem to think it is um okay so it seems like again it's more of a, a personal preference than it is actual uh, a good reason for it yeah that was that was my thoughts that was my thoughts as well. I mean, they're they're putting their money into it. Uh, they're not doing that if they think it's not a you know feasible uh, feasible place to run a line. So it's one of those things where I think uh, they're using some scientific stuff to say hey, we don't we don't want it here because this rock doesn't work, and it just happens to be the rock that's in their backyard that that they're trying to protect there. So um, it's understandable to try to use every means at your disposal. Uh, at your disposal, if you don't want the line running through your property, then you're going to do any means necessary that, that's available to you to try to stop it. So um, I understand that, but at the same time, like you mentioned, this opens a door for people on the other side to say that this is why we have to keep eminent domain here uh, because people are going to abuse it, and and so uh, that's a good point. And and I. You know, that's something that, that we've been thinking about a lot for the last year now with some of the codes and, and laws that they're passing and changing and modifying. 
there's an article that came out, Chesapeake. Uh, we've talked about them a little bit in the in the last year, but not near as much as people were, you know, back 2012 or in 2009 when they were just blowing and going. But Chesapeake, they're saying, is preparing to, to really ramp back up. They're expecting the stocks to start doing a lot better. They're expecting them to... Uh, maybe get some acquisitions here in the next six months or so on into 2020. Uh, so this was an article that that you know, I, I've been interested in Chesapeake after reading that book Frackers and uh, and just seeing some of the ways that they're making moves has uh, definitely been interesting. Yeah, me and Sergio Chapa have a kind of a running joke that they're kind of like you know the um, the villain like in a Freddy or Jason movie. Every time you think they're dead, they come back. And I, at this point. Chesapeake for me is kind of that company where, uh, what's the saying? I'm from the Show Me State, you know, Missouri. You got to show me. So you, that, that's it. Yeah, show me. I've heard a lot about Chesapeake coming back. Um, you know, they've got to come back. They, they're going to come back. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. And it feels like every time I, I, I think, you know what? Maybe, maybe they've turned the corner here. Maybe they actually know what they're doing. They, they just, you know, they, they just let me down. And so I'm not, I'm not getting my my hopes up for them there has been some positivity around them lately but it, it just i don't know i mean if you pull up their stock right now so i'm trying to do i think it's trading at like two bucks less than two bucks okay so if you go if you go back their stock so this is a five-year window so five years ago today their stock was trading at 28.18 today it's trading at a dollar 85 okay a year ago it was trading at 539 uh, six months ago it was two forty-five. Uh, and then you know, so and then if you kind of get closer, obviously it gets closer to where it's at now. So it's, it's, I'm just not. I mean, I was working for Chesapeake back when it was trading. Let's see here, what's the number? Seventy something, I believe. If I can get this thing to work, sixty-three, sixty-six, seventy-eight. Looks like it was a peak. You know, I was working for them back in those days. <laughs> I know some guys who hired on and got stock options at that. <laughs> so I felt bad for those guys. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not convinced here. I'm not convinced. I know there's every time Chesapeake does something, it kind of seems like they get they get folks excited. But um, I'm curious with the listeners um, feel the same way or not. You know, let us know. Text on guestpodcast.com. Shoot us a note. Do you actually believe that Chesapeake is going to turn the corner? I personally don't. But I'd be curious to see what happens, of course. Well, I think a lot of us kind of hang on that acquisition that happened last year. They uh, they acquired Wild Horse Resource Development, which was uh, a lot of Eagleford acreage for $4 billion. That closed uh, and was completed at, earlier this year, 2019. And so uh, it just it's going to be yet to, yet to be seen if they're going to be able to make efficient use of that acreage and, and turn a pretty good profit. Um yeah, definitely interesting. Definitely interesting to see. Speaking of uh, acquisitions, Ryan, we have been talking about the Oxy Anadarko deal for quite some time. We mentioned there was a uh, a board member that was up at arms with the way Oxy uh, went out and acquired that Anadarko deal. He thought they overpaid for it, and his name's Carl Eichen, and he has been making a fuss uh, with some of the other board members, possibly bringing a lawsuit, and is trying to. He's not necessarily trying to make the Anadarko deal go away. Uh, that's been settled. Uh, what he's trying to do is prevent the ability of other folks to come in and do something similar in the future. He's trying to protect the other board members and himself from any such thing happening again. 
What do you think about that, Ryan? I mean, board members, um, but the way the way this acquisition happened, do you think that there was some? Do you think the the way it, the way the acquisition happened, there should be other rules or other procedures that go in go in place so that all the board members are happy, or should you, should there be a majority vote? Or I mean, what happened, and and why why is this guy so upset about it? It's kind of what I'm wondering. I mean, it, right. surely he knew what was going on. Right. Uh, I mean, if there was a majority, and this is something that I haven't been able to find, I've been looking. If there was a majority of folks that wanted to move forward, he shouldn't have any, you know, any reclamation or any anything to pursue. But if for some reason this was a decision made without the majority of the shareholders, then I could see him him his right to be upset. Well, I mean, I think a couple things. One, you know, when you have a publicly traded company. Um, especially one as big as um, Oxy is, you know, you you bring in a CEO and the board has to put their faith their faith in the CEO and um and and so if the board doesn't feel like um, Vicky Holub is doing a good job, then they can vote to remove her. That's not a problem. Being that they haven't done that makes me wonder: is he the lone voice or the minority voice, as you're saying here on the board? Um, as far as the shareholders go, I think the, the, one of the things he has said somewhere else, I don't think it's in this piece, is that he essentially said that if it goes well, then she's going to, the CEO, Vicky Holub, is going to reap the benefits of this. But if it doesn't, the ones that are going to pay the price are the shareholders, not necessarily her. And, um, and I think that's a fair thing to say, but it would be hypocritical of us, Josh, to sit here and, and, and to look at what they did bad, because we just got through saying that we think that Kinder Morgan put their money where their mouth is. And so I think she's putting her money on some level where her mouth is. I, mouth is. I understand that, 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 that I can might not necessarily agree with the deal and there might be some concern there. Um, but you, you, you tend to believe that Oxy thinks that this is a good deal enough to pay the extra 10 billion. It doesn't mean they're right, but it's what she believes. And if they don't like what she's doing, then they can remove her from the board. I don't know what those processes are as far for Oxy or publicly traded companies. I don't know, you know how all that works, but they can't remove her. I do know that. Um, it happens regularly. So it's, but as far as I can go here, the, the question is, I, I think on him specifically is, um, you take someone like Warren Buffett, who's very good at investing, okay, uh, a name everyone knows, but Warren Buffett has missed very badly on multiple, multiple things by his own admission, not, not Ryan criticizing here. He's missed on his own admission. So we have to take that in consideration that I can, could be, could be, um, could be right, it could be wrong, just because he's made billions of dollars doesn't necessarily mean that he is the right voice. Doesn't mean he's wrong either. So I, I kind of sit here going, I don't know. I wonder what his motive is if he just wants it to be on the record. You know, he's just saying, hey, I want to be on the record right now that this is a bad deal. Um, maybe we should change CEOs in the future. Um, and so if the deal does go south, he can say, at least I try to warn everyone. Or is, um, you know, maybe he's had some kind of pre-existing uh, issue with the, with, the, um, with the CEO and he's just trying to rally support now. He's using this as a leverage point. It's going to be interesting to see here in five to ten years who's right and who's wrong because someone is going to have to eat a lot of crow. I mean, you know, if it turns out to be a great deal for Oxy, Iken is going to have to sit back and go, man, I really whiffed. Not only did I whiff, I whiffed in a way that made it so public that I was, you know, out there berating everyone over this thing. Um, but if he's right, then, you know, it will, I think, and this might be part of his strategy here, if he's right, 
and it is a bad deal, it will strengthen his position on the board and as a shareholder later on. Um, where if he wants to, you know, throw his weight around, then he can, uh, you know, he can do that. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. You know, he he may be he may be playing chess when when you know with how he's trying to unfold things. Yeah, trying to position himself. And maybe he doesn't care if he's wrong. Maybe he knows that you know what if he's wrong. No one's ever going to say anything. They'll write a few articles, but if he's right, then he gets more power. I, I, mean, I don't know. He's welcome to come on the show. Uh, if Nate can you know, get him on, that'd be great, Nate. So uh, get on that for us. Be happy to talk to Carl Icahn about it. Yeah, get him in touch with the president. <laughs> yeah, get him and Trump on at the same time. Just go and get that done. Two for one type deal. Well, Ryan, there was a couple of things that came out for the Texas Roundup this week. Uh, the first one is a new Cactus 2 oil pipeline from Wink to Corpus is set to open soon. It says, uh, let's see, Plains All-American, uh, the Cactus 2 is supposed to be filled within a week, uh, 670,000 barrels per day. Uh, so that, good news there. We got a, a pipeline, a good pipeline is about to come online here. Um, it may be online already. Looking at the date on this article, is probably up, ripping and roaring right now. So uh, great news there. Uh, another article came out from Wood McKenzie, Three we- Reasons Why the Permian Basin Needs One More Crude Pipeline. We talked about this. Uh, I think there's three major pipelines that are going to be coming online. And what they're saying here is we need one more major pipeline. So based on the Fundamental Edge report that we did several, probably about a year ago now, uh, there were we're going to basically have spare capacity with these pipelines for a period of about four to six months and then we're going to be back uh back in a a small squeeze not nothing like we're not a bottleneck like we're in now but there will be a squeeze and what this article is arguing for is that from 2022 to 2030 uh one more pipeline will be needed in order to handle some of this excess oil that's going to be drilled so uh it's a good article if you want to go in and check it out uh lots of information about um permian basin oil production uh what they're expecting capacity to be like between 2021 and 2030 um you want to see some routes of some potential lines just a really good all-around article if you want to check that out and the last one run drilling down sergio chapa this is one of one of my favorite articles that he writes the drilling down article it gives you the top 10 drillers in texas in the permian in the eagleford and in the barnett so uh nothing nothing too surprising here in texas exxon with 352 drilling permits is number one eog number two diamondback number three uh and the eagleford EOGs number one, Chesapeake's number two, Wild Horse Acquisitions helping with that, and Marathon Oil is number three, and Haynesville, Sabine, BP, Rockcliffe. So uh, lots of good information there. If you want to see what's going on with some, some of these companies, look them up by shale and what the drilling permits are doing. Lots of good information in here. Really like the article. Make sure you go and check it out. All right, today we have a special guest coming on the show. His name is Todd Staples. He's the president at Texas Oil and Gas Association. Todd, we appreciate you coming on the show today, bud. It's great to be with you. Look forward to discussing all that's going on in the Texas oil and gas industry and how we're changing the landscape of the world by what our industry is doing right here in the Lone Star State. 
Well, uh, Todd, tell us a little bit about uh, you know Texas Oil and Gas Association, who you are, um, kind of what what y'all do, and and when y'all were founded, and just kind of give us a little a little bit of a background on on who you are and what you do. Great. Well, Texoga uh, is our state's oldest and largest oil and gas trade association. We actually represent every facet of the industry, exploration and production, uh, pipelines, refining, um, service companies, and even we're working with ports more and more because they're playing such a big role in, in, in exporting products around the globe today. We have uh, some of our smallest independent producers to some of the world's biggest major producers that are members of our association. Collectively, the membership of Texoga produces in excess of 90% of our state's crude oil and natural gas. They operate over 80% of our state's refining capacity, and they're responsible for a vast majority of our state's pipelines. Texoga really focuses on on four focal points, uh, legislation, regulation, judicial affairs, and public affairs. Uh, the work of the association is concentrated into these areas so the organization can be responsive to the ever-growing demands on the industry by state and local governments and is the general public as well. The, the thing that makes us unique, Ryan and Josh, is that our association really turns to our strong member-supported uh, committee structure. We have about 17 standing committees of engineers and geologists and hydrologists of various disciplines. And I don't think anyone can marshal the type of resources that are available through our member companies, the expertise in industry that comes together and really solves problems that makes oil and gas in Texas the leader in the world today. You mentioned legislation. Um, we covered... Some of that we had on. So we had actually had a debate about eminent domain. We were just talking about it a few minutes ago. Um, that's part of the legislation discuss, legislative discussion. What else have you guys been following? Kind of where are we at? Kind of give everyone an update on um, all the big issues that would impact the oil and gas associate uh, oil and gas industry. Well, it was a busy legislative session, no doubt. Uh, members, uh, this last session passed many good bills that were significant for Texas to keep our economy strong to make certain that we're competitive, um, uh, not only nationally, but globally. And they took actions that are going to better prepare our workforce to grow the economy. Uh, you know, in the oil and gas industry, we know that we have a social license to operate. So we appreciate the understanding that oil and gas plays in our state's economy, the strong role that it plays. And we also weighed in on, on core issues that relate to oil and gas. You mentioned eminent domain. Um, I, I just want to say that our industry stands as ready partners with landowners. We're willing to um, help change policy that ensures that we can move products across our state, but that it's done in a manner that doesn't delay projects. Uh, unfortunately, this last session, Senate Bill 421, as filed, would have increased litigation. It would have increased delays and really thwarted the ability to build the infrastructure that's needed for Texas. And so um, that didn't pass last session. I'm sure we'll continue to work on that again. But there weren't many pieces of legislation that um, is really good for all Texans. One of them was House Bill 3557. It's known as the Critical Infrastructure Protection Act. 
It was um, sponsored by Representative Chris Patty, State Senator Brian Birdwell. Governor Abbott signed this bill into law because it provides new protections for our state's critical infrastructure facilities to safeguard against illegal activities that damage facilities or interrupt facilities' operation. We've seen too many instances of nefarious activity, and not only just across the country and the globe, but right here in Texas, where people intended to do harm, and our current legal system failed to provide significant um, protections. And so uh, the legislature saw that, they addressed it, and uh, they came together to provide tougher punishment to deter, deter illegal activity all while maintaining the rights of those who wish to legally and respectfully protest and express free speech. We all know how important it is to be able to speak your mind here in Texas, and and you can still do that. But we we know that illegal activity is not only costly to business, but it puts employees of facilities at danger. It endangers the lives of first responders that come into these facilities, and this bill is much broader than oil and gas. It protects agriculture facilities and others as well. So that's just one example. I have others if you have time to hear those as well. Well, I'm glad you brought that one up specifically. I'd forgotten about that. Josh and I had talked about that one, oh, I don't know, about a month or so ago on the show, two months ago. And we had some concerns about it. And obviously, we're Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. We're very pro oil and gas, but we're also very pro. We are free market um, people who are very pro landowner rights as well. And so we always on this show try to find ourselves balancing, um, you know, the rights of the individual versus the rights of the corporation. And, and this one right here was a head scratcher for us because what help help Josh and I and our listeners understand. If you come onto someone's private property, there are trespassing laws. If you damage their property, there are laws on that. Why weren't those laws sufficient? Because you mentioned they weren't. What was deficient in the criminal code in Texas to say, well, if you damage someone's property, um, there is a penalty for that? So why did we need to add more legislation? Wow, you're so, that is such a good question and really hits to the heart of some of the criticisms that were unjustly presented about this legislation. We have examples, guys, of people that trespass on private property were arrested and then released and were bragging about doing it again the very next day. That's just how um, uh, blatant they were in their disregard for the law. And that's really the deficiency in the law because the punishment was not sufficient to deter this type of illegal activity. And we talked to prosecutors and we had conversations with them about what is needed. And they confirmed the fact that the punishment just wasn't strong enough. And it was too difficult sometimes to match up and and to really go after these offenses. And so that's the reason the legislature saw fit to create these new penalties. And, And look, we know that there are organizations out there as well that are organizing and paying people to trespass own private property and to do damage and the law really didn't afford the opportunity to go after these organizers and so this bill will allow prosecutors and for civil action to go after these types of organizations that are recruiting people we we have uh seen where people are are bragging about teaching people how to trespass and that's just not the right thing to do because as you say the protection of private property rights is so important and we have to balance those. We need infrastructure. We need pipelines. We need power lines. We need roads. And we need agricultural facilities to grow our food. 
but we don't need people um, that are, you know, uh, uh, going on and damaging in such a way that really impacts people's lives in a very dangerous way. That's why this type of legislation is so important. Okay, and, and you're right about all that. There is, there is obviously um, criminal activity that's being encouraged. I covered um, on my old shows about um, the uh, North Dakota Access Pipeline and some of the stuff that was being paid for up there, and and is how despicable that is. The only other concern I think Josh and I had was on on this particular bill was it, it, at least at one time there was talk about it including right of ways. Now, anyone who's worked in the industry and has been to an existing right of way would understand that it's very hard to understand the boundaries of an existing pipeline right-of-way. Um, so does this bill go and in, in, in put, um, as you mentioned, someone who has the right to protest on Bob Smith's property, um, they're on Bob Smith's property, but the right-of-way boundary isn't necessarily clearly determined. Um, it could, are we going to see cases where environmentalists will come and attack our industry because we have a bill that allows uh, maybe a misuse of this bill by going after people who are on the right of way and they didn't actually know it. Does that make I, that should make sense? I'm, if not, I can clarify it. No, that makes perfect sense. And, and the good thing to know about this is that it has to be a, a, a twofold, right? And so you have to trespass number one, and then you have to do damage number two. Okay. And so okay. if you're accidentally crossing a boundary line and you're not doing any damage, and the law enforcement comes along and says, "Hey guys, you need to step back a couple of spaces here." then that's what will happen. But if you're going on there and you're taking a blowtorch to a pipeline, then right. that's when this is a good example of how that kicks in. And so uh, we, we, we went to great lengths to make sure that if you're, you're on the public right of way, number one, no problem. I mean, you're, 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 this, this will not affect you. And this is also staggered uh, in, in the sense that you know, there's different levels of punishment that come into play. And then there's also the thing of prosecutorial discretion uh, for any law. So if you're going over the speed limit one mile an hour, are you breaking law? Yes. Can you be ticketed and punished and fined for that? Yes, you can. But are you going to be, number one, by a law enforcement officer? Probably not. Uh, if you're if you're being, you know, if you're sweet, swerving over in the next lane and going over one or two, then then there's a whole other thing coming into play. And that's the same type of common sense approach on this bill, I think. And that, that's good to know because we, uh, you know, we want the industry to be responsible. We want to protect people's rights as well. And we didn't want to, we didn't want this bill to be something that um, people who are protesting our industry can use it as government overreach um, to put our industry in a bad spotlight. So it's good that there is. It's more than just maybe an accidental step across the boundary line. Uh, you have to go and do malicious con- uh, malicious intent, if you will, or damage, as you said. Um, obviously, we don't want that happening because that is dangerous. And sometimes I don't think these people really realize the danger they're putting them themselves in when they go and um, start messing with some of this equipment. As you know, it's, it can be extremely dangerous um, if you tear that stuff up. Okay. Any other highlights? Just, any other, just, go ahead. Just, just one more thing, because because yeah. so much misinformation has been out about this. And through the course of the bill uh, and the testimony and the hearings, uh, it was brought up, well, what if somebody puts graffiti on uh, a pipeline, let's say, or on the side of a building? Would this particular law kick in? And I think that type of activity was actually removed. Uh, from, so it wouldn't be covered. So if you've got a kid, let's say, that's just being a kid and shouldn't be, but they are, uh, there's other laws that would already uh, cover that activity, and this one wouldn't. So that's, that's, um, that, that's a good thing that we, that we did to address those types of concerns. And by the way, while this was being passed in the Texas House of Representatives, a protest broke out. They unfurled banners, 
and they tried to stop the whole process of our government uh, because they were misguided on on what they were doing. So that's kind of a an aside that I thought was was actually humorous on on a bill to <laughs> to protect that right of free speech. All right, uh, Josh. Uh, was there any other legislative bills that we tracked during the the the, the, um, the period that we want to ask about, or just let uh, Mr. Staples hit any other highlights? You know, I, I was thinking. Um, you know, I, the eminent domain and the pipeline protests were definitely the biggest two in Texas. Um, as far as any outside legislation, there were some up in Colorado that we were interested in and following, but uh, just just out of interest sake, just to see how things are unfolding. But I, I can't think of any others. Um, so what, I can't think of any others. A couple, a couple of things your your listeners may be interested in. We know that in the energy producing areas, that the traffic, the public safety issues have just grown phenomenally because the infrastructure, the road infrastructure, has not been developed sufficiently to accommodate the kind of growth that we're seeing today. Uh, in fact, TxDOT testified in some hearings that the Permian Basin has. Two percent of the state's population, but has ten percent of the road fatalities, and so, so TxDOT is doing a lot of work in the energy corridors. We're really appreciative of for them. The legislature funded TxDOT very well. Then the legislature also set aside two hundred and fifty million dollars. Some of that came from the fund that oil and gas actually pays into directly through the our state's rainy day fund. This two hundred fifty million is going to be available through the county transportation infrastructure fund, the CTF fund that's administered by TxDOT. Counties can apply on a competitive basis and use these dollars to fix county roads, while TxDOT will be looking at, at state roads to accommodate the, the really rapid growth that we've seen. That's kind of a, a big, big, big uh, bill that I think that will be impactful. And then uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was, 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 a, was a couple of bills that the legislature passed to deal with the produced water that's coming back, the flowback water, because of the robust level of production that we have. As technology improves, we know we're recovering more and more oil and gas. With that comes the flowback water. Uh, they passed a, a, a bill that will ensure that the flowback water is able to be uh, used by the operator where and it gives them really the way the, the title, the chain of title is cleared up, they will be able to, to, to work with companies to recycle that water, to treat that water. And hopefully, we, you know, we think it may lead to new drought-proof sources of water that will be not only beneficial to the oil and gas community, but uh, to be discharged back into the water streams when it's recycled to a safe level and they work with the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality to make sure it is. So water management is huge for oil and gas, as you know. And so we think that's a big bill that will go a long way to help the industry grow in the future. One of the things we talked about earlier on the show is there's kind of some concerns about, at least in the upstream sector, for the remaining half of the year with drilling and output and prices and, you know, can companies survive or not? Um, obviously, sometimes we talk about the news and the standpoint of what may or may not happen to these large companies, but we sometimes forget that there's people, people like me and you and Josh and regular folks who are out there working, uh, paying taxes, you know, buying goods and services. Uh, break down for us just the economic impact that the oil and gas industry has 
on the state of Texas. And uh, maybe if you even have some more specific numbers about just personal income household or stuff like that, I don't know how far in the weeds you guys go, but whatever you have, we'd love to hear it. Well, thank you. Uh, you, you know, oil and gas plays a dominant role in our state's economy. We all have heard the conversation about how diversified the Texas economy has become, which is a good thing that we have different industries that are advancing. But the reality is, without oil and natural gas, um, the state of Texas would be a much different state. In 2018, our industry represented a whopping 29% of our entire Texas gross state product. Well, our, our industry contributed $14 billion in state and local taxes and state royalties. Our industry employed over 348,000 Texans with good-paying jobs. Um, you know, th- th- this these good-paying jobs are important because our workers earn an average of about $130,000 a year, which is 2.3 times the average pay in other private sectors. In fact, on a per-job basis, our industry pays over seven times more in taxes and state royalties than all other industries in the state. Uh, Our industry is what is funding our state's permanent school fund, our state's permanent university fund, and our state's rainy day fund or economic stabilization fund. In fact, the, our, our permanent school fund became the largest educational endowment in the nation at $44 billion at the end of fiscal year 2018. And by the way, that's bigger than Harvard University's endowment. And we, we're really proud of that. Um, and when you think about the $14 billion that we paid in state and local taxes and state royalties, keep in mind that does not include things like payroll. It does not include things like rolling stock or office buildings in downtown Houston or San Antonio or Dallas that is just kind of hard to track because of coding and systems like that. And so this is the type of role that oil and gas plays in our state's economy. Um, I mentioned our rainy day fund, the state's economic stabilization fund. Prior to this last legislative session, it was projected to have a fund balance of over $15 billion. These are dollars that are set aside that are funded directly from our state's oil and gas severance taxes. And because of that, we're able to take on challenges like Hurricane Harvey and not miss a beat because the state has this resource that's set aside, paid for by oil and gas, that enables our state to meet the needs in time of crisis. And I hope that makes every Texan very proud of this industry. Yeah, it should. And Josh and I obviously are extremely proud to be a part of the industry, a very small and insignificant part. And that's one of the things that, you know, we talk about messaging and we haven't talked about that in a while, Josh, but one of the things we tried to emphasize was, is that, you know, when you work in the oil and gas industry, you, we should really remind people that we save lives because uh, the, and the analogy that I always use is, is that when there's a, there's a heart transplant going on somewhere and there's a helicopter flying from hospital A to hospital B to get a heart to save a life, and all of that's possible, all of that literally is possible by oil and gas. So we're an industry that saves lives in a lot of different ways. That's a very simple analogy. Um, and so very proud to be a part of this industry and proud to have an organization like Texoga to kind of get out there and hopefully – educate the public because there's a lot of misconceptions about who we are, what we do. And for the most part, we're just a lot of average folks like me and you and Josh that are sitting here. And, uh, sometimes the big corporate moniker gets overplayed in the media, I think. 
Well, uh, you, you made such a great analogy about saving lives and, 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 and uh, first responders and the ability for Texans to – the things that they rely on every day is only possible because of energy and oil and gas. And, you know, it's here domestically, but it's also abroad. Our, our whole national security, our national defense structure is based around oil and gas. In fact, in World War II, they created a safety – uh, they divided our, our nation up into safety quadrants uh, to make certain that we had petroleum supplies. Uh, and it's been said that um, because of oil and gas, our, our, you know, our, our World War One, the Allies floated to victory on, an, on a sea of oil was a quote that I remember reading one day. And it's just unbelievable. And it's, and it's all possible because of pipelines. Moving this product from the Eagle Ford in South Texas, the, the Permian Basin in West Texas to our Gulf Coast, to where, you know, liquefied natural gas is going around the globe today and changing lives and improving the environment and, and making clean running water available because power is accessible today. Okay. Well, thank you. We've tried to get you on for uh, some time now. I know we've had scheduling conflicts and cancellations and all kinds of stuff. So thank you for working with Josh and myself to, uh, to finally get this done. It's been, uh, it's been good to get you on here and, uh, we appreciate all you guys do anything else. You got events or uh, websites or social media you want to plug or promote before you get out here today. Well, thanks for the opportunity to talk about oil and gas. Thank you both, uh, Josh and Ryan, for, for making certain that people are informed about what's going on. Uh, our website is uh, Texoga, that's T-X-O-G-A dot org. Texoga dot org. Uh, please visit our website, take a look at it. Uh, this year, Texoga is 100 years old. We're celebrating all that the men and women in this industry have done for 100 years to build our state and national economy to change lives. Uh, we're really excited about um, what we're doing this year. You can go to texoga100.com, and uh, we've got some great videos that tell the story of oil and natural gas, of men and women that are working to, to uh, produce the products that changes lives, and we're glad to get that message out. Thank you for that opportunity to do so today. Thank you, Todd, for coming on. We really appreciate it. Appreciate it, Bob. Look forward to being with you again. Take care. Well, we want to give another thanks to Todd Staples for coming on the show today. It was great having some insights into some of the litigation and uh, some of the insights just into the industry as a whole. With that, Ryan, I think that uh, I think that wraps us up for today. We have anything else? Yeah, I was just curious. What are your, what are your thoughts on some of the legislative stuff, especially the, the trespassing bill? Um, it sounds like from what he's saying that they were really protective um, hopefully in the language of it and I think it's something that as an industry we need to monitor because if that was the intent then you know we are not wanting people to go and uh, um, do harmful things or not 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 that but we also need to make sure that the intent of the law needs to be carried out and um, it sounds like it was it, it was pretty well considered so I think it's gonna be something to watch as you know these protests will continue so I'll be curious to see how that how that mm. shakes out. Well, uh, the thing that stood out to me was one of the problems that we've, that I know you faced recently, Ryan, uh, that, that everybody faces to some degree, is when someone, the way the laws are written, when someone wants to get you, they can use the letter of the law to go against what the intent of the law was originally. So you make me sound the way like, it's... Hold on. You make me sound like a, like a felon. 
<laughs> no, 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 no. So give me an example. Give me an example. So the white walls are red. You said one of the things that you faced recently, Ryan. To my knowledge, Ryan is not under investigation by anyone. Oh, no, that's true. I that's true. No, no investigation. Do I need an attorney present for this conversation? I'm a little, I'm a little <laughs> this nervous is all of a sudden. This is for the world, the president to hear. So, um, so he said that if if they trespass, that the way the law is written is that the, the cops should come in and tell them that you know, they, they police officers they need to take a few steps back. But he also said, is it? He gave an example of speeding. If you're going a one mile power over the speed limit, can they pull you over? Yes, they can. And so he said, well, will they? No, they're not. Unless they want to pull you over, right? And then they can use the law to pull you, over, even right. if you're only going one mile per hour over. And that's going to be the issue, I think, is with some of these trespassing things. I know what the intent was in their writing, and I agree with it. I, I, I thought, I thought, like you said, I thought the law was thought out well, and that they did a good job. The question is going to be: is is it a law that can't be misused by people that want to misuse it? Right. That's kind of that's kind of my thoughts, and and, and I'm not I, I'm it's not a big deal. Uh, that would be my only only hiccup is could some could a veto wins Texas Senate in mm-hmm. two years or four years or whatever could he use that law to? Yeah, yeah, I, I think I know what you're saying. It, it's 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 um you know there there's a couple ways to um there's a couple ways to, to to think about it and i heard someone the other day talk about the laws and they said when you when a law is passed think of the worst possible way the government could use the law against you yeah that's, that's if, what i'm saying if you, if you start with that um then you can then you think about how a law should be worded and i think some of the things that we're concerned with is we're not pro protesters that's not what we're saying they have the right to protest that's what we're saying they have the right to protest they do not have the right to trespass on proper property um um, and so, but it was interesting that, and and, and uh, maybe we had to get a show for another day. I'm still not entirely clear on why we just didn't change the trespassing laws. That seems to have made, but you know, it, that's a show for another day. But I think it, I, I do think we have some framework now to track this as it goes along because it will be used at some point, and we can kind of see, okay, did this measure up at least to what we were told it was for? And hopefully it is. And 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 folks, if you want to protest. Just stay on your own property. You don't want to come on your property, so stay off our property or their property or whomever's property, and we can all get along. It seems kind of ridiculous that you want to uh, illegally trespass on someone's property. So anyways, uh, Josh, Baffin Bay is our sponsor. Final episode with them we have on Captain Aubrey Black, who will be on in just a second talking about our last trip, what to expect over the next few months. We went down there and slaughtered them. Of course, you weren't there, so it makes a lot of sense. And until next time, keep climbing. Okay, and up next again, we have on Captain Aubrey Black from Bath and Bay Rod and Gun. Captain Black is down there just this, I guess it's been a little bit over four days now since I was down there. And we absolutely slaughtered them. And you were saying that it didn't surprise you this time of the year. It's, um, you catch a lot of fish, but not necessarily as many big fish. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, this time typical summer pattern. You know, we'll have a good bite, sometimes even a little topwater bite early in the morning. Um, number wise, there's going to be a lot of fish out there. We catch a lot of, uh, a lot of small fish right now, but, uh, we've, we've found a couple of places where we at least catch some good keeper size fish. Uh, just haven't caught anything real big. I think the biggest trout in the last probably three or four weeks has probably been about 24, maybe 25, but, uh, numbers have been really, really good. 
Yeah, I don't know. We I think we all caught the limit or about did, and uh, no monsters, as you said. We caught a, caught a lot of fish. But then I have to say, I think I left on a Saturday, and then I saw Sunday morning y'all posted a picture of someone caught an enormous redfish. Yeah, I think it was the night y'all left. Uh, Darren and Sutton and Bo went out and did a little uh, night wade and got into – they caught quite a few trout, but uh, Darren hooked that big – that real big redfish. I think it was 44 or 45 inch long redfish. We were passing that picture around on our end after we saw it. I couldn't imagine hooking one of those much less at night, much less in the water. I'm sure it's probably a thrilling and exciting experience all at the same time. And probably a little nerve wracking too. that, that time of night catching a, catching a fish like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like he said, uh, he, he wasn't sure what it was, whether he foul hooked a stingray or whether it was a, he he says a shark, but like I said, I I haven't seen sharks in Baffin ever. So, yeah, but that doesn't mean they're not here. It just means there's not not very many of them. But uh, they got he got a good pull and said it took him about twenty twenty five minutes to land that fish. One of the things that we saw that was pretty neat this time was uh, we saw several I guess it's pods is what you call a group of dolphins that were moving through and just, I mean, just destroying, I guess it was small trout or mold or something like that. Um, that was kind of a neat experience is, uh, just from a seasonal perspective, if you're looking to bring the kids is seeing the dolphins this time of year, more regular than another time of year, or do we just happen to be at the right spot at the right time? No, there's a, that there's a, a really large resident pod of dolphins that lives down here. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I would say they're more active right now, but uh, they, they have a milk run that they make, you know, it's, and it's almost the same places at the same time every morning. So you can almost set your watch by it. And, uh, you know, they'll come down the bank and they'll, they'll find them a big school of mullet or a big school of trout, jump right into the middle of it. Like I said, they're, I don't know if, if dolphins everywhere uh hunt the same way that these guys do but these guys are <laughs> they're very uh very acrobatic in their hunting i mean they'll come out of the water <laughs> and they're, i mean yeah. it they raise a lot of cane when they're out there yeah and it didn't seem to bother them one bit that we were over there fishing <laughs> kind of like they weren't concerned about us at all um so we got through we're at the end of june into july now i know y'all have hunting dove hunting that comes up in a little bit let's just kind of get through the fishing july august september um what's what should the fisher the folks that are coming down to the fish what should they expect for the next few months well the uh you know the summer pattern should hold you know for a while on the trout but uh right now in fact the last few days uh sally and i and a couple of our guides have been going out doing a lot of shallow water sight casting uh fishing with fly rods and and uh sight casting with conventional tackle but lots and lots of redfish and black drum are up in the real skinny water. And that will be uh, a pattern that will hold all the way probably through November. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, we, um, you know, I was talking with the guy, I think Sutton uh, took us out Saturday. And, you know, it was our fourth time there. And I tell you, you know, my recommendation, I think, to the listeners and to uh, prospective people is we've got to come down, uh, lucky enough, four times now. We drove down, had a wonderful dinner, had a great experience fishing. But I think to really get the full experience, you almost need probably two days, maybe three days to get in there and really fish because uh, every time I leave, I'm tired, but I have the itch to do a little bit more fishing, you know? 
<laughs> yeah, that's generally, you know, like I said, Baffin is more of a destination than a, a day trip type deal. So we, we do encourage people to come down there for a couple of days anyway. Uh, this time of year, you know, we'll get a few afternoon thunderstorms or something like that. It may run you off the water. But, uh, in fact, I got one that looks like it's fixing to run through the house here <laughs> just any minute. But, uh, like I said, the weather weather will be a little – it'll either be really, really good, which means it'll be hotter than heck. But, uh, but that's excellent for the site casting. Or we get, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we'll get storms that move through and they'll run you off the water. So it does take, right. it does, it does pay to take a couple of days and come down and, and at least hit, hit a real, you'll hit, you got odds of hitting at least one good day or, or greatly improved. Right, 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 right. Well, it has been an awesome experience. We have told everyone we know, of course, our listeners recommend it. And, uh, I think, you know, I brought down one of our guys one time and we're going to, bring down some clients over a three to four day period just because i think as you said that's just kind of you kind of get the feel of it and it um you know it's nice and i've got a great setup there relaxing i serve good food it's really a every time i've been there it's funny every time i've been there i've heard other guests compliment you guys on just how nice the 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 facility is there the food is there it is truly top notch and so we thank you guys for partnering with us on the show and look forward to seeing you here hopefully in the next month or two well, we appreciate it, and like I said, I think what uh, I think one thing that we offer is is you know being down here in the wild horse desert and on the back of Baffin is uh, nobody really expects to see what we've got, so uh, it mm. is a little bit of a surprise and hopefully a pleasant one, and hopefully everybody uh, keep keeps on coming back because we sure do like doing what we do. Yeah, no, and that, I'm glad you brought that up. Every, we've had, uh, obviously, you've taken us out several times, Sutton took us out, and I, I know I've told you this um, off the off the air, but I tell you it on the air, is one of the things that we really appreciate is that the, all the guides are so actively involved in the trips. You're not just a passive participant. You're actually out there in the water, um, baiting, uh, hooking, you know, tying up a, tying up a rig or, um, you know, catching fish yourself. And sometimes that's just kind of good to see that someone is catching a fish if you're kind of in the drought and, uh, so it's so you guys have a great establishment, and all all the uh, all your captains do a great job of managing stuff. So, anyways, world class establishment. We appreciate it, and we will see you soon. Anything else before that you go, sir? No, I think, uh, like I said, we've enjoyed having y'all down here, just like we do everybody, and uh, we just hope that uh, some of your listeners will come down here and try us out. All right, thank you, sir, and we will be in touch soon. All right, good talking to you. 